continually the writing of new songs, um, songs that are old standbys to us were at one time new and uh, where people were trying to get accustomed to them uh, because they were new. But I think we would all agree that, you know, there are some songs that uh, have a good message, but they just, uh, they don't stand the test of time. And uh, there, there are songs probably in this songbook, you know, we got these new songbooks. There are probably songs in this songbook that a hundred years from now, we, we won't be singing anymore. They just didn't stand the test of time. I have a, a songbook from like 1917 or so in, in my office, and about half of the songs I don't recognize. I've never sung them before. Uh, they just uh, were not those songs that were perpetuated. John Newton must have known what he was doing when he penned Amazing Grace nearly uh, 235 years ago. And uh, if you have a songbook there conveniently, you might want to go ahead and open it to, I started to say verse 125, but it's not a verse, though there are verses in this song. Uh, Page 125, or song 125, let me say it that way. But um, we we sing uh, some songs, some verses of this song that uh, we, we have come to know as Amazing Grace. What we probably failed to realize that he wrote some more verses, and I, when I picked up this songbook, I saw that a couple of the verses that he wrote that we don't sing are included in this uh, version, rendition of Amazing Grace, and yet there's still one more verse that he wrote that isn't even in this song. But I'd like for you just to take a minute and read the song with me. And listen to the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He speaks of his life prior to his uh, discovery of God and his uh, pursuit of God in terms of being a wretch. You probably know his background, that he was a slave trader, that he was a captain of a ship and, and would go to Sierra Loren and, and capture men and take them to other countries and sell them into slavery. And, uh, no doubt that's part of why he felt the way he felt about himself. He said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." And and then there are three verses that, uh, well, two of these are in the book. But he said, "'The Lord has promised good to me.'" His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. And then the last verse, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to 
sing God's praise than when we first begun. Those words have stood the test of time. 200 plus years, people have been singing uh, those words. And, uh, you know, talk about outliving yourself. You know, can you do something with your life that will outlive yourself so that people years from now will benefit from your life and, and what you did? And this man was able to accomplish that. Amazing grace. I want us to talk about that tonight. And if you have your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 2. The one thing that we need more than anything else in this world, anything, we need pardon that comes from grace. There's nothing that we need more than that. I may have shared with you when we first moved here a thing that happened that I remember seeing, and it's so vivid. It was around 1985 or 1986. I was watching the news, CNN or one of those news channels, and it was showing a man that had gone up, and and he was one of these parachuters, and he had you know the little helmet on his cam uh, or the little camera on his helmet. And, and, um, he was jumping out and videoing all these formations as these guys skydived. And, and then, uh, it was the last jump of the day, his fifth jump of recording these things. And he jumped out and he, you know, got the formation and everything. And when everybody started to pull off and, and just disappear out of sight because they pulled their chutes, all of a sudden you saw his camera moving back and forth like this, just, very erratically, the man in his haste forgot to put on his parachutes. He jumped from a plane to his death. That man at that time needed one thing, nothing, a million dollars. You could have offered him a million dollars. It would have meant nothing to him. You could have offered him anything. He wanted one thing at that moment. There was only one thing that could do him any good, and that one thing would have been a parachute. That's the boat we're in. That's the situation we're in today. You see, the one thing that we need is grace, is pardon. You don't need an extra chance you don't need and you don't need God to say, "Well, now listen, I'll give you one more chance." That's not what you need. You don't need another chance because I know what you're going to do with that chance. You're going to do with that chance the same thing that you've already done with the chances you've already had. You're, you're going to sin. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to mess up and, and and separate yourself from God because of sin. So you don't need another chance. You don't need more time. Just give me more time. Let, let me make it up to you somehow. Let me do better. Uh, let me reform. Give me more time and I'll take care of this. No, you won't. Time, number one, you're going to repeat the things that you've done already. And number two, time doesn't forgive sin. The passing of time has nothing to do with pardon. The one thing that we need more than anything in the world is pardon. And that pardon comes from God's grace. And so tonight I want us to talk about that one thing that we need. Because we've all sinned, 
It's not that God, and we've all been separated from God because of that sin. And Isaiah chapter 59 says, it's not that God's hand is too short that he can't reach down and grab a hold of us. And and it's not that he's deaf, that he can't hear us. Our sins have separated us from God. So because of that, and because the wages of sin is death, eternal death, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, I need pardon. I need God to graciously say, you're forgiven. And guess what? He's willing. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the one thing that I need, and it's the one thing that God is willing to do for me. How how good is that? Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and hopefully tonight we'll just come to appreciate the grace of God even more than what we already do. Just to be mindful of some things that, I know you already know this, but these are factors that I believe are worthy of consideration. Have you considered what our old condition once was? We we were dead to God. Read with me in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others." He's talking to people who were now Christians, who were delivered, who had received the grace of God and stand in Jesus now. But he says, you know, you weren't always that way. There was that time when you were just like those people out in the world that we're looking at today. Those corrupt folks that do whatever they want, whatever they think. Those immoral, wicked things that they do. You used to be just like them. We were once dead in our trespasses. Do, do you understand what that means? It means that we're separated from God. It means there's no heaven in our future. It means, and, and you read and you know what the Bible says about hell. We, we don't talk about hell very much in our culture today. It, it's, uh, well, it's a, it's a joke it's a byword that we use when we hit our thumb or something like that. And, and it has all been, but been diminished and eliminated from our, our language today in, in a, a biblical sense. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I, I think the time is now when we need to remind people, there, yes, there, there is a hell. And it's real, and you don't want to go there. And it's a place of agony and torment, and you're separated from God and everything that's good. But that's where we once were, were not for God's grace. And I want you to notice, too, that it says that we were by nature children of wrath. And sometimes a person will scratch their head and say, wow, that... That kind of sounds like we're born in sin, doesn't it? I mean, we're by nature the children of wrath. We, we're born sinners, but that, that's not what the passage means at all. 
by nature, he's talking about by our practice, by what we have become accustomed to, uh, what, what we do over and over and over again. It, we use this phrase today still. We talk about, well, it's just second nature to me. That's what he's talking about. Do you have to think when you get up in the morning which arm goes in your coat first? Or do you do that by nature? You know, and I dare say that it's not your left hand today and your right hand tomorrow. It's not something that you've just left up in the air. Which shoe do you put on first? You see, we do certain things because we've just done them that way for a long, long time. It's just long-standing practice. And that's how we are children of wrath. In that sense, we are by nature the children of wrath. Why? Because we have over and over and over again chosen sin. And look at what he's talking about. The reason we're children of of wrath is because, listen, verse 2, we once walked according to the course of this world. And he said we were once doing the, the works, uh, or, or there are those who are sons of disobedience because of their works. He said, among whom we also once conducted ourselves, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You see, they had a long-standing practice. We had a long-standing practice of sin. It, it had taken on second nature to us. We didn't bat an eye to do certain things that were out of, out of harmony with the will of God, but we did it anyway. And it didn't grieve us. It didn't pain us. It didn't uh, affect our conscience. We, we might tell a lie, and it just rolls off our lips, and we, we get a good night's sleep. You see, by nature, by our practice, uh, our over and over again, our repetitious ways, we were doomed. We were dead to God. But, grace, because of what God did through Jesus on the cross, we now have a new condition. Our old condition was that of being dead to God. Our new condition is that of being alive to God. Look, read with me in verses 4 through verse 9. But God, who is rich in mercy, and and there's that, that key word, but... Boy, doesn't he paint a terrible picture in verses 1 through 3? You once were dead in trespasses. You walked according to the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. You were once conducting yourself in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. You were by nature the children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised up together and made to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In this passage, we who were once dead are now alive. And it has nothing to do with because you were such a good person. God didn't act on your behalf because he looked down and he saw, Wow, that guy, look at him. I am so impressed with him. 
I've got to do something because he is a good man and I've got to redeem him. It was not of works of righteousness or by works of righteousness which we have done, Paul said. But it was according to his love and his mercy that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. God, who is rich in mercy because of his love for us, not because of our good deeds, because of our moral character, but because of his great love, we who were dead, he extended grace unto. That, that's, a, that's a fantastic thought. That's a terrific thought to realize that while we were yet sinners, as Paul said in Romans, Christ died for us. This grace, again, is, is offered not because of anything that we've done, but because of what God had done. He, he loved us. He created us. And look at the honor that is involved in this um, bringing us to life unto him. He said that he has raised us up. He's given us dignity. Look at verse 6. He raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ. And I don't know what all of that is about, but I get enough about it to, to understand this. This is good. It's a good thing. It's an honorable thing. It is an exalted thing to be able to be lifted up and to be placed in a position where we're with Jesus. Have you ever, maybe you've gone to a concert or maybe you've seen something on television or or on YouTube or whatever, and there's this concert going on and everybody's eyes are on the performer. And he has the rapt attention of everybody in the assembly. And, and, and they hang on everything and they're cheering and they're so, wow, just to be, and they're just reaching up just to even be able to touch, you know, just, just touch my hand. Do you remember how Elvis would throw a, a, a handkerchief out and people would nearly kill themselves just trying to get that handkerchief to have some point of connection with him because he was so high? You know, and he was so exalted. And, and every once in a while, you'll see a person doing a concert, and they'll go down and they'll grab someone out of the stands or out of the um, room there, the assembly, and they'll pull them up and they'll ask them to sing or do something with them. Wow. Don't you know that changes that person's That Number one, they are just thrilled to be there and to be that close and to see this person live. And, and no doubt Facebook is going to go crazy with all the, I was at this place and I saw this person and, and all the, the, the honor of doing it. But to be called up on stage, to be a part of the show, that's just incredible. Don't you know that person is about to pop, you know, with pride and joy over that? Listen, if you can understand that in some degree or another, or if you're not into concerts but you're into football, imagine getting sideline pass and getting to stand by the coach or right there, you know, with the, the action. And that would, be, that would be cool. God has lifted us up. And made us to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Folks, that's an honor. And like I said, I don't understand all that that entails, but I know enough to know when God has honored me and when he hasn't. And this is an honor. 
God has lifted me up. And the salvation that I have is incredible because he's not exhausted by our our sins. It's while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still dead in sin, he made us alive through Jesus Christ. And again, it's not by works that we have done, but it's by grace through faith. He extends this offer of salvation to us. We respond to that offer in faith, in trust. And because of that trust, we, we obey. And because of that, we're, we're, we're saved. That's what God offers us. We were once dead to God, but because of His grace, we are now alive to God. But even beyond that, I mean, that's an, that's an event. Our justification is an event. All right, God saved me. All right, now that I'm saved, what? Well, the rest of the verse in verse 10 tells me of my ongoing condition, and that is, you know, accountable to God. I was dead to God. He made me alive to Him, and now I'm accountable to Him. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We used to walk in the course of this world. We used to walk according to the path of the sons of disobedience. That used to be our lifestyle, and it was so common to us that we did it by nature. I mean, it was just our way of life. But now, because he took us from death and brought us to life, he says, now I want you to do something. I now want you to walk in righteousness. I want you to walk in a different way. He tells us that he wants us to be, well, his workmanship that was created for good works. And so now what we should be doing as children of God who have been saved by his grace We should be living for Him. There's no excuse for a Christian who is a carnal Christian. There's no excuse for a Christian who continues to live in sin and and harbor sin in their life. Man, what God has lifted you up. He's honored you. How can we dishonor Him by continuing to try to walk in, in that course of this world? How insulting must that be to God when we... We want Him to be our Savior, but we don't want Him to be our Lord. And there are more than a few that have that mindset. So what God calls us to is a life of service. Do good works. I saved you for this. I want you to be about that. I took you from the depths of sin and I made you alive and I have raised you up and placed you in a position of honor and prestige and you're with Jesus now. And all I ask now is that you live for me. Walk in these ways that I have prepared for you to walk in. And the reason isn't just simply self-serving, but it will affect the lives and the conduct of others as well. This is God's amazing grace. We don't deserve it, but he's given it to us. And I, for one, am thankful. And I'm for, uh, I, for one, am thankful that a man who lived 235 years ago picked up a pen and wrote down the words 
to the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The invitation to be lifted up out of sin and made alive to God and and lifted up to reign with Christ is still just as much alive today as it ever was. And if you're here this evening and you feel hopeless, and you may be hopeless, but you need not stay that way, God gives us hope. He can bring us from death to life where we live for him with the remainder of our time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says that in Christ we are a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Let's give our lives to Jesus. If you haven't done that, why don't you do that tonight? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. When you obey God, when you place your faith and trust in him and do what he asks you to do, demonstrating that faith and trust, he will keep his word, he'll save you. If you haven't done that tonight, do that. Make that decision tonight to get right with God, to not ignore and insult the spirit of his grace, but rather to embrace it and to respond to it. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and it's time, you know, it's time to get right with God. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. Things happen just like that and you may not have time. Don't tempt fate in that fashion. If you know that you're not right with God, then ask him to forgive you. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.